Our core kids are dismissed to their classes. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 40 to verse 43. When you got it, say so. Okay, all right, I'll wait because nobody said so, so y'all ain't got it, huh? All right. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, when you got it, say so. There we go. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Lord God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you for the grace that you give us, for the opportunity that you allow us to worship and to adore your great, great name. Thank you for your presence that is here now and Thank you for your word that you have inspired. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. God, glorify your name, not just in our hearing, but in our doing, in our living of the truth that we hear this morning, Lord God. Captivate our minds. We rebuke every plan, every distraction, everything that would try to hinder us from hearing, receiving, Lord God, and humbling ourselves before your truth, Lord God, to live for your glory, God. We thank you for all this, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that everyone has an outline so you can follow along in the introduction. Um, not just that, but we also want to make sure that you're able to take some notes. Um, and then outside of that, as I always encourage you to remind you, is that you are called to make disciples, right? And so one of the tools that we do give um, to you is that, and I would hope that you'll use it. Um, and it's simple, right? All you got to do is just talk to someone and say, hey, I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you about what I'm learning, right? What I heard on Sunday and just share it with you. And that will help you to grow because it's going to help you to retain. It will also help you to learn a little bit more because hopefully you'll dig into the scriptures a little bit, and hopefully they'll have some questions that you'll have to answer. Um, and so don't make up answers. Amen. Right, if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. I'll get back to you. But um, you want to make sure that that helps you. But it also holds you accountable, right, to the truth that we hear. When we see the video that we just saw, it's a little bit discouraging, right? You read that, and then you, you kind of see what, uh, what pops up and, 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 you know, Google searches and things like that. And it doesn't seem all that cool, right? Like, you know, if those things are true about Christians in the eyes of those who are searching, then there has to be a problem, right? There has to be some kind of issue, which is the reason why we're in this series upside down because we do believe that God has the power and the ability through his church to turn the world upside down once again, right? Our verse that we that we looked at last week is Acts chapter 17 verse 6 when they go to the house of Jason 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus after the church was founded by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what we find is that these that, that the people who are falsely accusing the disciples that are there their false accusation is surrounded by this it starts with those who have turned the world upside down have come here as well 
And so while that is something that sounds derogatory, to me it sounds great because our world needs to be turned upside down. It's something that is encouraging for me because I realize that if 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God was still moving, then it gives me hope for our days today because I realize that God is able to turn the world upside down. And because I know that, then I can preach the truth of God's word. I can call you to account for God's word. And the one thing that I said last week is that uh, so important for me is that every week we get up here and we declare uh, in the beginning of the service when we do the greeting is that we are committed to loving God. We are committed to growing together. We're committed to serving and we are committed to reaching others. And what that is, for those of you that may not be familiar with it, that is our mission, right? That is how we declare what our mission is to be disciples. And the reason why that's so important, especially in the context of this message, is because we declare this weekly as what we believe to be God's mandate upon our lives as his children. Every week we declare this. We say, God, God desires that we love him. God desires that we grow together. God desires that we serve. And God desires that we reach others. That's what a disciple looks like. That's what a disciple does. And so if this is God's mandate, then this is what I believe. That if we are really living those principles in our lives as disciples of Jesus, then that is the way that the world will be turned upside down. Amen? And so we are here, if you look at your outline there, uh, and, and, and we're talking today about growing together, that second declaration that we, that we declare weekly. God created each of us with a need for relationship, right? If we, if we look back in the book of Genesis, right, we go there and we see that God created all of these things. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He creates the vegetation. He creates the animals. He creates all this stuff. And the Bible says after every day that he created something and it was good. Right? He creates man, it's very good, but there's a problem here because there's one time that God says it was not good, and that was when it was to do with Adam. He said it is not good that he be alone. And so what that means for us is not just talking about, in, in, in that particular context there, specifically, right, that is dealing with marriage, right? It wasn't good for him to be alone because Adam could not fulfill his purpose apart from a helper, which would be Eve, right? And so it wasn't good for him to be alone. He didn't have companionship. And I want you to notice this because I think this becomes so very important. As I go through premarital counseling with couples, one of the things that we, that we drive home when we go through that Genesis account is this, and it is that God, God himself created Adam with a void that God could not fill. Let me say it again. God himself created Adam with a void that God himself could not fill. What do I mean by that? God said it wasn't good for him to be alone, and there was a void that was in Adam. It wasn't only because Adam couldn't complete his will, but also Adam had an emptiness, and that emptiness was only filled by a helper, by a companion, by someone to have fellowship with or someone to grow together with. From the beginning, God creates us, right? And God didn't just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to create this big old earth. I'm going to put you guys in the midst of this garden, and y'all are going to hang out together, and it's just you two, and that's it, right? That isn't what he said. He said what? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have children, right? In other words, create a big family, right? He said be fruitful and multiply, meaning he wanted him to have lots and lots of children, right? And so we're here as a product of their obedience, right? That's why we're here. And so God willed for us to have relationship. In our culture today, you know, we look at relationship and, and some people's lives, depending on your personality type, you're pretty cool just hanging out by yourself, right? 
You're good coming to church. You're good hearing the word. But you're okay just hanging out by yourself. You, you know, you might be a bookworm. You know, you might be a movie buff. Or, you know, whatever it is. But you're okay just like, you know, you can, you can even watch this online, right? Because it really, really, really being in the building doesn't make a difference, right? Because it's not about being around people. It's about hearing the truth. For some of us, right, it's like that. But, 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 but the reality is what the culture would try to tell us is that that's okay. Like, that's just your personality type, so don't worry about it. But the reality is you still need relationship, right? We still need relationship. We need, we, we need relationships so bad that some of us stay in toxic relationships. Are you here? That's how bad we need relationship, right? You ever seen somebody that you just know that they shouldn't be in that relationship? You ever met that person? You ever seen them? I hope you're not them. Hello? Right, you wouldn't know it anyway because, you know, love is blind is what they say. But the reality is you'll see people that are in relationships sometimes. They're toxic, right? They can be friendships, not just, you know, um, significant others. They can be friendships that they're toxic relationships. And the reason why we won't let those relationships go is because of what? Because we have a void inside of us. And God wants us to have relationships that reflect something specific as his children. And so if you look at your outline, irrespective of our preferences, personalities, or past experiences, the gospel unites us as one body, meaning that we're part Part of each other, one family, which means that we are part of the household of God, and one people, right? The Bible tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation, a peculiar people. And so God has us as his people. Growing together should be, that's a typo there, it should be a byproduct of the gospel, but it requires our attention and effort to cultivate it. I'll say that again. Growing together should be a byproduct of the gospel, but it requires our attention and effort to cultivate it. And so what should happen automatically is that we engage in a relationship with Jesus, and then what happens next is that we automatically should begin to engage in relationship with other believers. That should happen. But the truth is, depending on situations in our lives, depending on our personality, sometimes that doesn't occur, and so it requires our effort. And so here's what I want you to think about today. The need for gospel-centered relationships is essential to our our spiritual health. The need that we have for gospel-centered relationships is essential to our spiritual health. That's something that we really need, and a lot of times we don't even see that. We don't, we don't see how much we need one another. And so from a biblical standpoint, what we're looking at in the scripture here is what happened immediately after. And go back to your Bibles. If you look at your Bible there in verse, in, in verse 40, just to bring us up to speed of what's going on here. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his, his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then it says this, and they continued steadfastly. So something happened. So when you look at the book of Acts chapter 1, like we looked at yesterday or last week, in the book of Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus getting ready to ascend. And the last thing he tells his disciples is to wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with power and you will be my witnesses, right? And he goes through that. And then we saw that his disciples did what? They obeyed. 
They heard what Jesus said, and they went, and they waited on the promise, and they gave themselves to prayer and seeking God's face. And as they did that, something happens in Acts chapter 2. In the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost comes. When the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes down with might and with power, and these people start speaking in tongues. They start speaking in languages that they did not know naturally. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in these other languages, and the and the crazy thing about it was that there were people who were around them, right? And so obviously, when you think about the upper room, like when we think about rooms, obviously, we think of rooms like this. And so if everybody in this room, if we literally do this, right, if we literally all just yelled right now at the top of our lungs, nobody would hear anything, all right? Like nobody, like because this room is soundproof, the, 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 you know, the building is made in a way in order to, you know, not bother our neighbors. And so it's extra soundproof, right? And so nobody would hear unless they might be like right outside in front of the door, they might hear us. But the upper room wasn't a soundproof room. It's a room that was obviously open enough where everybody who was out there, who was in Jerusalem at that time, heard this noise. And when they heard this noise, <clears throat> they were shocked because they're like, wait a second. These people, they're not, they're, they're not from where we are, and yet they're speaking in our languages. And they're not just speaking in our languages, but they're speaking the praises of God in our languages. And then what happened is that some people were amazed, and other people were like, oh, they're just drunk. That was funny. I know it's 9 o'clock, right? Y'all are like, ah. Right? They were drunk. They're like, these people must be drunk. And then, you know, Peter's like, listen, it's too early to be drunk. They're not drunk, right? Like, that's not the deal. And then Peter goes on, and he preaches this amazingly bold sermon that comes directly from the Old Testament, right? And he communicates, and he's like, he says, listen, this was the promise of God that the Holy Spirit was going to come. Your, you know, sons and daughters will prophesy in it. And so he goes through all of this, and then as he's preaching the sermon, then he accuses them directly of crucifying Jesus, and the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do, right? What is it that we're supposed to do? And Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he goes through all of that and then we come to this verse right here. We get to verse 40. And it says in verse 40 that all of these people got saved. He exhorted them with many other words, telling them to be saved from this perverse generation, Repent, turn from your sins, and then he goes on to this next verse. So the first thing I want to say uh, is this, and repeat this after me, please. Say, we must grow together around God's word. We must grow together around God's word. So verse 42 shows us this, and it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I want us to pause there for a moment. Because what we recognize is that the immediate response to faith in Jesus and, 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 and the, the next step was baptism. And that was their outward declaration that they were committed to God. And so the immediate response is that they began to do something in a steadfast manner, right? It wasn't like nonchalant. It wasn't like, ah, you know, maybe we're going to go to Bible study. Maybe we're going to go to church. Maybe we're going to go to the fellowship meal. Maybe It wasn't none of that maybe stuff. It says they continued steadfastly. In other words, this was something, and when you, look up that, when you look up that word, right, what it's talking about, it is talking about a staunch, deliberate, right? It's the idea that they were fighting against opposition, Right? In other words, they were continuing in spite of whatever was going on around them. Right? They were, they were not allowing excuses. They were not allowing reasons. They were not allowing circumstances. And in, in, in their immediate context, the greatest circumstance was the fact that their gathering was illegal. Hello. 
Their religious belief now was illegal. It wasn't legal for them to be gathering around the worship of this Jesus and this resurrected Savior. He had just died, right, like 50 days ago. Literally 50 days ago, these people saw Jesus crucified because of who he was. They saw him crucified, and then some of them saw him rise again. And so now they're in this place in jeopardy of their lives, and the scripture says that they continued in spite of the opposition, right, to do what? To fellowship around God's word. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. We all have reasons not to grow together, right? Don't we? Work schedules. A lot of us get out late. Like, man, I don't want to go nowhere, right? I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get off my feet, right? Like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go deal with anyone, right? Like, like I mean, th- those are realistic things, right? Like, the, um, you know, sometimes our experiences have been bad, right? Like, you've, you've, you've been, like, really excited, really committed to getting around some other Christians, and you start to realize, hmm, right? I mean, th- we're, we're just being honest, right? I mean, this is, this is church. We're supposed to be honest. We're not supposed to lie, amen? Right? Got family challenges, right? Depending on what season you are in your life with your children. Like some, some of y'all are like empty nesters and, you know, you, you ain't got nobody in the house. It's like, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not worried about changing diapers. I'm not worried about someone going to bed. I'm not worried about dressing someone. I'm not worried about getting ready for tomorrow. Like, I mean, like some people, other people, you're like, man, I'm in the midst of that, right? Like, it's tough. Like, like, if, I, like if I leave your house past 8 o'clock, it's going to be a rough day tomorrow, you know? Like, for real. I mean, so, 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 so there's reasons, right, that we have to say, nah, man, I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm like thinking in, in terms of these are realistic things. There's not stuff that's not real. But can I tell you something? It's still things that we have to follow the example of the first church and say, you know what, despite all of that, I'm going to make this work. Because God has called me as one of his disciples to be in relationship, to be in communion, to be in community with other believers. But not just that, but around the word of God, right? It's around God's word. We have to have fellowship that is around God's word. Growing together around God's word gives our fellowship purpose. And that purpose what? It builds our faith in Christ as we wrestle with different um, scripture, as we wrestle with different issues. And we start to see, man, you know, this is what the Bible says, but my life doesn't look like that. This is what the Bible says, but our culture doesn't look like that. This is what the Bible says, but man, I'm struggling in this area. And as we wrestle together through those truths, what happens is our faith is going to be built up. That's what's supposed to occur when we are gathering together around God's word, which is what the first church did. They needed the word of God in, God in their lives. What does it do? It helps us get closer to God and closer to our family in Christ. See, when we're gathered together around God's word, when we're gathered together, and so when we talk about our Core Connect life groups, right, they launched last week officially, and so when we get together, I was encouraged as we're going through Multiply and one of, and, and one of the groups that I'm leading, as we're going through that, and we're talking about, you know, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, you know, we go around the room and we're talking about, okay, so are you committed? And we all kind of talk through. And then, you know, some people are like, yeah, you know, but I, I struggle here or I struggle there. Like those conversations are encouraging because, you know what you just realize? You're sitting around like however many other people are there and, and you realize you're not the only one that struggles. You're not the only one that is, that, that is having issues in certain areas of your life. And you may not be having the same issues, but you start to realize we all have issues. And then you, all, you know what we all start to realize as well? The Word of God is a solution to all of our issues. 
God's presence and power solution to all of our issues. God Almighty is a solution to all of our issues. So when we get together and we're committed to that, see, we can't abandon that because it does what? Because we are called into these relationships, again, around the Word of God. And the reason why that becomes so important to be in fellowship, to grow together around God's Word, because this isn't growing together around a hobby. Are you here? This isn't growing together around something that you like to do. It's growing together, and obviously I would hope that you like God's word, but this is growing together around something that has eternal value, right? I mean, look, I'm not saying that you can't hang out. Like, you know, some guys like to play softball, baseball, basketball, you know, racquetball, different ball, whatever, you know. Like, like there's different things, you know, and, and some ladies like to do those things. Well, and, you know, and so we, we, I'm not saying not to grow around that, but can I tell you something? All of that right there, if Christ is not found in that stuff, has no value. On an eternal level, it has no value. But when we're sitting down and we're in circles and we're discussing God's word and we're praying for each other, we're going to get to that in a moment. But when we're, when we're in that environment, God is able to change our hearts. God is able to change our lives. And can I tell you something? You can hide right here. See, you can hide right here and you can act like you're all spiritual and look spiritual. And I wouldn't know the difference. You can close your eyes when we're in worship, man. That person's so spiritual. Right? You can open your eyes there in worship, man. They're so spiritual. They're, so, they're, they're in the zone. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can be in there. You can be engaged while I'm preaching and sound like, oh, yeah. But you know what? Here's the thing. I don't know if you're living that. No one else in this room knows when you leave here if you're living the truth you're hearing. But guess what? Let's sit in a circle. We'll figure it out real quick. Let's sit in a circle, and we'll start to know, are you really living the truth? And then if you're really a follower of Jesus, guess what? When we sit in that circle, and you start to see you're not living that truth, you know what begins to happen? You want to serve God, don't you? You want to live for the glory of God. You start to realize whatever the issue is in my life, it's a work issue, marriage issue, family issue, children issue, whatever a parent issue, whatever the issue is, you start to realize, man, I can't just live how I want to be because I don't want to be one of those search statistics. I don't want people to look at my life and see something else, but growing together around God's word really matters. As we grow together around God's word, here's what happens. We become better equipped to be witnesses in the world who are empowered to turn the world upside down. When we are in fellowship around God's word, when we are growing together around God's word, we become better equipped to be witnesses who are empowered to impact our world, to turn our world upside down. See, when I get around my brothers and my sisters and we start to talk, as we were, I was talking about, you know, our, our, our core connect as we were dealing with multiply and we were talking about some of the issues and the struggles in the culture that we have right now and, you know, how some people, they, they have these belief systems, right, that are really like, you know, people really believe stuff that's crazy, right? Stuff that it just makes no sense, has no foundation, has no validity, but they sound so convincing when they communicate it, you're like, man, this has to be true. This has to be true. Like, and, and here's the thing. Today, in, in, our, in our culture, you know, people, they learn how to use, um, you know, certain apps. They, they learn how to use certain technology. And so not only do they sound convincing, they look convincing. And it didn't cost that much money. And they seem so well-educated. And they seem to have so much time. But as we were sitting down and we were having the conversation, I was like, man, most of the stuff that you hear out there, they're lies. They're just repackaged lies. That's all they are. And if you do just a little bit or see the same way they Google, you can Google right? Don't, don't, don't get intimidated because someone sounded like they knew something. Okay, great. Well, let's see what you really know. And, and, and when you go down there, and let me tell you, you know, people call it a YouTube university. Listen, YouTube's helpful, right? 
YouTube is helpful. You can find some. It's also harmful, but you can find some stuff on there that will help you answer some questions. I found plenty of stuff because you know what? I don't have time to do half of the research, but you know what I do? I sit down. I know, I know what it sounds like. Hear me when I say this. I know what a good researcher sounds like. Are you here? I know what a good, I, I know the things that a good researcher says. And so when I start listening, it's not just because you sound cute or because you're eloquent or because you have a nice, you know, projection on, on your, no, no, it's not that. What are you saying? What is the content of what you're communicating? Like, what references are you giving? Are you talking about a book that has no references to it? Because that's what half the people are doing now, right? And then they do one thing. They do a little Google search. When they do the Google search, it pops up. Oh, it must be true, Right? They, 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 don't even, they, don't, they don't scroll down to like the fourth or fifth critique of what, what anyway, right? That's all you got to do. Just scroll down a little bit. Start looking down and be like, oh, I see that right there. There's a, click on the critique. Hello, right? Learn something. But, but you know what? If you're sitting by yourself in your own little silo with people that are just confused, guess what you're never going to do? You never know that. You're never going to be more equipped to turn your world upside down. The second thing, say this with me, we must grow together around the gospel. And I have communion there in parentheses. We must grow together around the gospel. And so notice what it says, the second part of that verse. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. In the breaking of bread. And so this fellowship included this breaking of bread. And most uh, you know, scholars believe that when they're talking about breaking of bread, they do believe that there was an actual meal that was taking place. So it was actual fellowship. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Sundays, like some of you, you're going to leave here, you want breakfast if you haven't had breakfast yet. And even if you had breakfast, you want brunch. Hello, somebody. Right? And so when you leave here, right, and the people in the next service, they're going to leave and they're going to want to have lunch together because you're hungry. Hello, somebody. Right? You, after being in church together, after, you know, hearing the word and stuff like that, right, you're hungry. And so you want to go ahead. And so you know what they did? They had fellowship meals. That's what they did. They had these fellowship meals, but these fellowship meals weren't just a fellowship meal. There was always a commemoration of why they were together. And it was because of the broken body and because of the shed blood. And what you have to realize is that in, in that day, in that culture, in that time, the bread, the matzah bread that we use in communion on Sundays, and then the, the, not the grape juice that we use, but they actually had wine, that was normative in their eating. And so when they would eat together, they didn't have to go and have some ushers come out and serve communion. They simply could come there together, and they would recognize during their time of that communion meal, man, we're together because of the blood of Jesus. We're together because of the broken body of Jesus. And so they had this idea, and they understood this. The biblical basis for our connection to one another isn't our religious beliefs, right? It isn't our traditional background, but it is the gospel that is reflected in communion. I love, love, love communion. I do communion two times on a Sunday. Hello, right? Because I'm in both services. Hello, right? I love communion, not just because it's some religious, ritualistic activity, but I love communion because it is a moment that we get to pause and we get to reflect on the gospel. It is a moment in our service without fail that we are going to reflect on what? Sin, Savior, salvation, right? Sin, and whoever's up here, they package it differently, right? And, 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 and sometimes they have a, a nice story to go along with it. But the basics of this is that sin, Savior, salvation, right? The sin that put Jesus on the cross. We talked about the gospel in depth last week. It's because of a God who is good and loving. And because we sinned against God, because we sinned against him, we violated his law. We break his law. We are separated from him. 
And not only are we separated from him, but we are what the Bible says, dead in our trespasses. And God graciously offers us a solution to our, to our separateness from him. And it is what? It is the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus died so that way he could offer us new life, so that way we could be born again. We could be filled with his spirit. We could have a new identity. And all of this is by the grace of God. And when we partake of communion, Union, not only do we recognize those components, but there's also that third one. When we look at our salvation, there is a day that is coming when there will be no more suffering. There'll be no more hardship. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow, right? That's a beautiful day that we look forward to. But what we realize is that on our way there, we have a mission, and that mission is to do what? To be the disciples of Jesus, to live for the glory of God. And you know what we have to recognize is that we are part of the body. You see, Jesus' body was broken so that way his body could be put back together. You get that? His body was broken so that way we could be reunited. So that way he could bring us together, whether we are from whatever background we are, from whatever side of the track we're from, from wherever we are at. He broke, his body was broken so he could bring his body together. And if you notice the whole thing in chapter 11 there that we read on Sundays, it deals with what? Relationship. Wait for one another, Right? That's how he ends that, that, that part of the exhortation. Wait for one another. Listen, don't dishonor each other by the way that you partake because we're honoring the broken body of Jesus. We also need to honor the put-together body of Jesus, the body of Christ. We have to recognize that. And so when I say we are to grow together around the gospel, that is why we're one. We're one because of what Jesus did. We are the family of God because of what Jesus did. You and I need to realize, see, that we just talked about, that is the power of the gospel and what Jesus did. But here's what I want you to realize. The gospel offers us forgiveness. You know what it also does? It empowers our ability to forgive. You see, the gospel, when we do this gospel picture, when we're there in communion, you know what I always do? I don't, I don't always think about sins against, against God in, 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 the, in the normal sense. I think about those. But you know what I always think about? I always like go in my heart and my mind and I think about, man, did I, have I offended anyone? Is there anyone that's hurt, that I've hurt that I need to reconcile with, that I need to make amends with, right? Because that is honoring the body of Christ, it is considering one another that we grow together around the gospel. We're able to forgive. You know what it should do? It should motivate our efforts towards unity and peace when we grow together around. See, these people were committed to, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and that fellowship part took place in communion as well. Jesus made it abundantly clear. The last verse or the, or the last thing on the video slide that you see up there is that Jesus says something, and it is what? That we are going to be known as his disciples because of our love one for another. You can write the verse down, John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. And here's the thing. When we grow together around the gospel, it emboldens our witness for the gospel. See, when we grow together around the gospel and we're walking in love and we're walking in unity and we're honoring one another the way that God tells us to honor one another, you know what happens? We're emboldened because we're doing what? We're walking in unity. We're walking in love. And even when we're out there in front of the world with other Christians that don't agree with us, are you here? You ever met any of those? 
right? Other Christians that have different opinions than you on whatever issues, on whatever things are going on in the culture, they have different opinions than you do. How do you treat them? You treat them like brothers or you treat them like demons? Do you embrace the cultural narrative about the church and jump on that train or do you stand firm on what? I'm a believer and my brother and sister may be wrong, but they are my brothers and sisters. I love them despite their imperfections, despite the fact that I may disagree with them. They were washed, they were bought with that blood of Jesus. But you know what? If we can't do that in here, we're never going to do it out there. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We must grow together around prayer. We must grow together around prayer. And so we see three things here, or, the, or these three things, these three components, right? We see a fellowship is in the center of all of it. And so they continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And in prayers. And so the same way that I believe that our fellowship, sharing of life, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week when we deal with the rest of this passage and we talk about serving. But when we talk about our fellowship, it must be marked by scripture study, right? Amen. It should be. It should be marked by that. When we get together, we should be talking about that. It should be marked by the gospel, but it should also be marked by prayer. Are you here? It must be marked by prayer. One of the things that we talk, you know, when, when, we, when we deal with our Core Connect leaders, when you come together in, in, in that time, there should be a time of prayer, right? And I'm not talking about you got to have a prayer service. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there should be a time that you come before Almighty God, that you pray one for another. And, and, ever, and sometimes it's going to look different. There may be some moments that it's a longer, deeper prayer, depending on what's going on, depending on what's happening. There may be other times that it's a shorter, more solemn type prayer, and that's fine. But there has to be a marking of prayer in our lives. Here's the thing. We cannot minimize the desperate need that there is for prayer in our culture. See, we're talking about turning our world upside down. We're talking about doing something like this. Here's what I realize. What I realize is this, and this, is, this, this has to be, I could just finish this point right here. We will never turn our world upside down apart from prayer. That's the bottom line. We will never turn our world upside down. Listen, let me say it like this. Your world will never be turned upside down apart from a prayer life. If you are not seeking God, your heart will never change. If you are not seeking God, what's going on in your life, whatever you're struggling with, will never change. Right? One of, the, one of the key things that we see throughout the book of Acts is that these were people who were given to prayer. There's something that happens. The apostle Paul, he communicates to pray without ceasing. There is a great emphasis on the need that there is for prayer. Our, our fellowship must be marked by prayer. Prayer should not be seen as just a private thing, right? Just as the Word of God empowers us to witness, here's, here's what happens. So does prayer. The same way that you learn what God's Word says, the same way you learn the truth of Scripture, and you become better equipped to have conversations, can I tell you something? The same thing happens when you have a prayer life. When you are praying, you may not even know what to say, and God gives you the words. Because you were seeking him. You know, I don't know about you, but that's happened to me in plenty of th I mean, I, I consider myself to be a guy that studies and knows the Bible. But, man, there's sometimes that I am stumped. There's moments that in, in all of my recollection and when I go through my mental Rolodex and I start thinking about what I know and what can be applicable, nothing pops up. But then while I'm in prayer or something like that, all of a sudden the Lord begins to show me something. 
There's a wisdom that comes that, that is beyond us, and it is because we are in prayer. Just as the gospel unifies us as brothers, so does prayer. Listen, one of the things that I encourage every married couple to do, when you are in an argument, when you are in a moment that you just can't get past it, pause and say, let's pray. And some of you are like, I'm not praying, because that's what you're going to say. First of all, it's going to take a big person to say, you know, we need to pray right now. You want to know why? Because you cannot come before God Almighty with a haughty heart. You cannot pray. You know what you're going to, this is what's going to happen. One of you is going to say, let's pray together. You know, the other one's going to say, nope, right? And then, and then you're going to say, okay, that's fine. And then you know what's going to happen. You're all going to argue about who's going to pray. You want to know why? Because you know, like, man, I got a bad attitude. I can't talk to God right now. Like, if you have any kind of respect for God, that's not going to happen. That's the reason why I encourage you to pray. Because either A, you're going to be a hypocrite and it's going to go nowhere anyway, or B, you're going to really repent. You're going to really humble yourself before God. And by the end of the prayer time, you're going to be like, man, I'm sorry. You're going to recognize yourself, right? Because what? Because prayer draws us together. See, when we're praying for others, it draws us to them as well. Right? Because when I'm praying for you, your burdens become my burdens. Your hurts become my hurts. Your joys become my joys. See, when we're praying, that is what happens to us. And so we have to do this. We have to recognize that prayer does not manipulate God. It moves God. And can I tell you what's even more important? It doesn't just, it doesn't just move God. It moves us closer to God. When we're praying and we're seeking him, it's not just moving God on our behalf or moving God in our situations, but it is literally moving us closer to him, and that is what we have to do. And I'll say this, and I'm going to wrap this point up, but here's what I want you to understand. Much of what hinders the church today of having a greater impact upon the culture is a lack of devotion to prayer, which demonstrates a lack of dependence upon God. You see, back in the day, the church over here that we see in the book of Acts, this was a church that depended on God. Somebody got locked up. You know what they did? They started praying and fasting, right? They weren't going to try to find the greatest lawyer. That wasn't what they were trying to do. They understood that lawyers weren't going to help them. And I'm not telling you not to look for lawyers in situations. What I am saying is you need to understand that you have a lawyer in the heavens. Are you here? You have one that is on your behalf and who is making intercession and you join him in prayer and God begins to turn situations that seem to be impossible around or he strengthens you to walk through those impossible situations. It is one or the other, but it's a guarantee that he is going to be with you in the midst of whatever you're facing. But if we are going to be a church that is turning our world upside down, listen, I don't care what ministry, you, what ministry you're part of, whether you're a leader or not. If you want to see God's hand and you want to see his power moving, then you need to up the ante when it comes to your prayer life. You need to up the ante when it comes to praying collectively with brothers and sisters and unifying and crying out. You can look at youth leaders sitting here right, right here. One of the things that Pastor Aldo, the first time that he ever got like, like, like told something wrong was because he came late to prayer. Hello, somebody. Right? Like all these other leaders, they were a bunch of flakes, but this guy, he wasn't a flake. And this one night, he decided to flake, and I'm like, and you? Right? I, I wasn't, I've become a lot more gracious as I've gotten older, as they will attest to. 
But the fact of the matter is, at, at that time, when I was in youth ministry, I understood something. Those kids' lives, they weren't in my hands because I'm not God. But I knew that I had to put them in God's hands. And I understood that whatever was going to happen that night, it was going to be a result of God moving, not because of us being so great. And so I tried to teach those youth leaders, listen, man, we need to learn to pray to God for his movement in the lives of these young men and women. And if we're going to lead, then it starts in that place of prayer. So if we want to see God move, if we want to see God move, then we have to be a people that are given to prayer, growing together in that, in relationship, growing together. And so here's my closing question for you. What is your commitment level to growing together? What is your commitment level to growing together? Right? And, 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 and before you answer that question, I want to say this. The Christians that you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for a service as usual. These were people that they met daily, they cared daily, they won souls daily, they searched scripture daily, and they increased in number daily. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day -day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Why? It was because the risen Christ was a living reality to them, and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Spirit of God. And so when we say, when you answer that question, what is your commitment level to growing together? I want you to compare yourself. And I don't like doing comparisons, but today we will because this is with Scripture. Compare yourself to the Christians you find in the book of Acts. What is your commitment level to growing together? Because here's the thing. God's still able to turn the world upside down. He hasn't changed. Our world still needs to be turned upside down. What has changed is us. So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Great God, we come to you, we humble our hearts in your presence today, and we acknowledge, Lord God, that you are king, that you reign and you rule. And so we know that your word has called us to grow together. Your word has called us, Lord God, to be committed to growing together around your word, to growing together around communion and the gospel, to grow together around prayer, Lord God. And so, Lord, I pray that as your spirit searches our hearts, wherever it is that we are not committed to growing together, Lord, liberate us. Lord, set us free. Lord, Lord, remove the excuses. Let us be more desirous to please you and to be healthy in a spiritual level, Lord God, than we are being comfortable or, or just or being okay living behind the excuses. Lord, help us to make the efforts necessary to grow together with our brothers and our sisters, for your glory, that we may be used to turn our world upside down. And I do pray, Heavenly Father, for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, God, draw their heart to you today. Grant them a repentant heart. And as I pray that, I also pray for those, Lord God, who may be fearful of fellowship, who may be fearful of seeking to grow together because of hurts in the past, because of damage in their hearts, because of bad experiences, God Almighty, may you rescue them and liberate them by the power of the gospel. And may you restore their hope in you. I pray, God, all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.